All right, I wanna, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about India because that is the, um, that is the foundation of, of where this message came from, actually. Um, in fact, I actually built a different message while I was in India, but it, but it was, a, it was um, a little too strong, and I'll kind of explain that because I'm going to mention a couple sentences from that. But, but, the, but kind of the understanding of, of um, what God was showing me and what God was really, really what God was convicting me of while I was in India. Okay, um, I'll explain it by showing you some pictures. Uh, the first picture here. <clears throat> this is a uh, this is a service in Barampur. Uh, my son, my oldest son, went with me. Uh, Doctor Noor and I usually go together, but uh, he's he's to the point where he makes him a little nervous to leave the country and do that. He's eighty uh, now, and so um, so he but. Dr. Noor is fluent in Hindi and Bengali, and so that has helped us to go around uh, in the country, and my son is not even fluent in English, and so that, he didn't help there. But um, the guy on the far right in the white, he's holding the microphone, that's Pastor Bashir, amazing man of God. He's about two and a half, three hour trip, um, a very terrifying 100 million miles an hour through village trip uh, in a car, that, but he comes down as a mentor. His wife is the nurse for our clinic. And uh, they, they have been a huge asset. And so we went to Barampur to have service with them. Um, the, the far left is his associate pastor. Pastor Bashir has three services, well, three congregations, two services. He has a Friday service, which is previous Muslims that have got saved. He has a Sunday morning service, which are two groups, um, Hindus that have got saved and uh, what's called the tribal people that have got saved. And the tribal people just means that it, uh, spiritually they're animistic. They, they're not Hindu, they're not Muslim, but they worship animals and spirits and stuff like that, and, and, uh, which is really kind of a syncretism of, anima, of uh, Hinduism anyway. But, so so they, he has got very full church services. He's a very solid pastor, and he's been a great asset to us. And what we were doing at his church was speaking uh, to all of the leaders and, the, uh, and some of the teams of all of the three services. Everybody at the, the service that we were doing here were all Christians. Um, and we were speaking to them about what it, what it means to be called and, and how to minister in your communities, how to minister in, to, to different types of people and things like that. It was just a really good time. We really enjoyed ourselves. But they were there all day long speaking. And everywhere you go, you pray. You pray for everybody. Um, there, there was, I don't know, 50, 60 people at this thing. And th- those are just the leaders of the three groups. And every one of them, we're going to pray for them. So it takes an hour plus um, easily doing that. And we pray for every single one of them. Um, and, and they had, you can't see it, but off to the side, they had this big banner that, that was talking about us. And it was all in, in um, Hindi, so I don't know sure what, it's, what it said, except that our names were on there, Reverend Scott Bottoms and Reverend Jonathan Bottoms. And Oh, okay, you got that there. That was, uh, that was just really nice, um, all of the stuff that they did uh, for us with this. Okay, so the next picture... <clears throat> this is the building that we built. This is, our, this is the top floor. This is actually the church space uh, of the building we built. The bottom floor is two apartments that we, that we put in there and, and uh, bathrooms and things like that. This is the top floor, and this is just one little section of it. You could comfortably seat uh, like they're sitting, not Americans with chairs and things, but you could comfortably sit probably 100 to 150 people in this room, in this space. And this is about two-thirds of the group. There's some more people to the left, I'm standing up there. My son's standing up there. We're speaking, but but this is this is important to note. So the right toward the middle on the very far side, there's a guy in a, with white hair and a white shirt. Um, when I was there five years ago, and we dedicated this building, he was there, but he wasn't a Christian. He was he's an elected official, like a uh, like a county commissioner uh, kind of thing, and very influential in the area. He'd been doing this for years and years. And he was there since that time. He, he gave his heart to the Lord, and he's become a huge asset to our pastor. I mean, a, a major help to our pastor. He goes and visits uh, places, introduces our pastor to people, all kinds of things that are, that are huge and necessary there. There's an older lady. I, I can't, I don't know which one she is in this picture right here. I have to get a little closer to look. But um, she is, is part of this village that's uh, fairly close to the church, maybe a 15, 20-minute walk. And, um, and 
her husband had committed suicide a few years ago, about two and a half years ago. And uh, we were praying for her. She really leaned on our pastor. Our pastor began to pray for her and, uh, and started to pray for her family. And the Holy Spirit just opened her eyes. She recognized that Jesus is God. She gave her heart to the Lord. And through the process of that, uh, she has, and she's a, she's a matriarchal leader in that community. And a little community, probably a few hundred people. And, uh, and she started witnessing to all these people in the village. And just in the last year, year and a half, two years ago, we had zero people in the church. For four to five years straight, zero people got saved. Then she got saved, and she has witnessed almost every single one of these people. And they are there because she witnessed to them and led them to Christ. Uh, she also, there's many people in her village that she's done the same thing with. In fact, let's go to picture of the village. Um, we, we showed up at this village. The older man that I was talking about, he wanted us to come to his home and, uh, and have tea at his home, tea and sweets. And their sweets are so sweet. I, I'm a diabetic, and they were sending me into a coma, so I didn't eat a whole lot of those. But, but uh, uh, you've got to have tea everywhere you go. It's, until you're there, you don't understand it. But literally, anytime you stop at somebody's place, or, or you, you have tea. And it's a very, they put a lot of sugar in it and a lot of milk. So it's like a little tea milkshake. Um, they're quite tasty. Uh, but we, so this guy wanted us to come to his home and have tea, and it was, it's about, um, if you put blocks, or not really blocks, but a couple blocks over, we went to his home. This was the old lady's home, and there's like five or six homes, and there's a little uh, concrete courtyard there. And uh, so we show up there, and uh, we just decide, we're just going to turn this into a church service. So we start singing and uh, loudly, and, and the, the people there, some of these people, you can't see there's a bunch of other people to the left, but um, they start singing, we're all singing and clapping, and pretty soon people are showing up, and it turns from, from 15 to 20, it turns into 30, 40, 50 people that are standing around the homes and out in the, the, the edge of the, the dirt and stuff like that. And, and uh, so then we, I just give a, a message about Jesus, and the message is something along the lines of Jesus is God above every God, and he'll show that to you. We'll prove that to you if, you will, if you'll let the Holy Spirit open your heart and show you that. And, uh, and then, same thing here, we prayed for everybody. Uh, I don't have any pictures of this in the list, but, but uh, we also had a clinic earlier in the morning that we did this, a medical clinic, and everybody that shows up there, they have to sit through a church service before they can get their medicine. You say, well, that's not right. This ain't America. Shut your mouth. So... Uh, <laughs> We make them sit through a church service, and so I preached to them about Jesus too, and um, and then we prayed for everyone. Every single person wants you to pray for them, lay hands on them, pray for them. So we do, and uh, and then Sunday morning when we got to the service, some of these people at the village where we prayed for them, they um, they were healed while we were praying for them in the village, and then they're healed, and the, the different ones are healed in the church service. And this is very visual things, very obvious. You know, physical, you know, arm, when a lady's arm was turned, we prayed for her arm straightened out. I mean, just very real stuff. Um, and it's so, please listen to this. It is so simple and easy to see people get saved and get healed in these uh, third world developing world mentalities. Because they haven't been taught all their life they're not supposed to be. They haven't been taught all their life that it takes a different kind of faith. They haven't been taught all their life that God doesn't really heal today. They haven't been taught all their life that, that is this God's will or not. You just tell them Jesus is bigger than your gods, and he will show you right now. You pray for them, and they're healed. Just right then. And so my message originally this morning was, why can't we open our blind eyes and see this in America? I'm going to soften it up just a little bit for us. But, but it, is a, it is a big deal to recognize that the reason America is like it is is because we have turned against God. We're not just not serving God. We've actually turned against Him. And, uh, and even within the church context, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out what God can do and if He wants to do it and can He do it instead of just letting God be God. Instead of just letting him be big and supernatural, just let him be God. We've learned to resist him so much. And some of that comes through our, our own 
mentalities, our own sin, our own attitudes, our rebellions, and those kind of things. But a lot of it is, is we just take it's the, um, it's the uh, prophet has no honor in his own country thing. We've known Jesus and about Jesus for so long that he's no longer the son of God. He's the baby in the manger. I'm going to talk about that in two weeks, um, what we do with that kind of mentality. So, so I want to unpack some things for you. I want to start with this um, quote <clears throat> from C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis, and I, I think C.S. Lewis is one of the better writers uh, there is. In fact, I've, I've got a video series I've been processing through right now. You can actually look this up. It's for free. It's at Hillsdale College, and it's called The Inklings. Uh, the Inklings was a nickname that was given to C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, and three other guys that used to just sit around in a uh, pub and discuss things like God and science fiction and Middle Earth and the Lord of the Rings. Wouldn't you have loved to have been sitting in that broom listening to these guys? I mean, well, so C.S. Lewis <clears throat> writes what we call science fiction. Now, this was still kind of in the early days of science fiction. Isaac Asimov had, was kind of the father, grandfather of science fiction. He's the guy that did The Foundation. That's, the, uh, that's his first book series. It came out powerful, but not godly. But uh, So C.S. Lewis, he puts his hand at writing uh, science fiction. So he writes a trilogy. And the first book of the trilogy, if you've never, if you've never read this trilogy, you should, you should read it. The first book of the trilogy explains creation from, from a point of view of somebody that la accidentally lands on the planet and watches creation happen. Not Earth, a different planet. But, um, but this one is the hideous strength. And he's talking about this concept of atheistic revel, uh, relativism. Everything is relative. There's no absolutes anymore. Um, this was the same time frame. C.S. Lewis wrote, uh, began writing this stuff, actually began writing in the 40s, uh, uh, late 30s and then through the 40s. He wrote a bunch of stuff during World War II and all this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, and so he's writing this science fiction stuff about relativism when it was just becoming something, just starting. Now we are the product of relativism today. You'll see a lot of this as he writes. So he writes in here, why should they find, what should they find incredible? He's talking about these people that are atheistic, relativistic mentalities. What should they find incredible? Since they know, they believe no longer in a rational universe. If you don't believe in a rational universe and everything is, there's no rational creator, there's no divine um, inspiration or anything like that. It's all relative. There's no absolutes. There's nothing. You know, we evolved all this kind of stupidity that, that nowadays we're so far along in this. He says, what should they regard as too obscene? This is, a, this is a major philosophical, but it's actually a spiritual theological question. If we evolve from monkeys and there is no such thing as absolutes, there's no truth, then why is there some, something that we call morality? Why is what is too obscene for a, for a people that came from uh, eating each other? I mean, when we were fish, we ate each other, right? So then one day, people really believe this. One day we just evolved so far that we thought, you know what? We should have a moral code. That's stupid. Human beings don't come up with moral codes. We have prisons and, and, and police and everything else because we work hard at breaking any moral code. That's what human beings do. We are, we are constantly in a, in a state, status of, of degradation. It's only Jesus Christ. It's only the word of God that even told us there was moral things. Human beings didn't come up with murder is wrong. God told them that. And then we've been murdering people ever since. We, we do not arrive at these conclusions. God gave us these conclusions. And C.S. Lewis is seeing this way back then. He's describing us now. What should they regard as too obscene since they held that all morality was a mere subjective byproduct of the physical and economic situations of men? We, we, we arrived at this stuff. Morality just came. No, it didn't. The time was right from the point of view which is accepted in hell, which, by the way, many points of view in today's society are very well celebrated in hell. We, we don't think like that, but they came from hell and they're celebrated there and we propagate them as, as strongly as we can. The whole history of our earth led up to this moment. Now, I love this next sentence because it's very, very satirical, sarcastic, 
but speaks so much. He says, There was now at last a real chance for fallen man to shake off that limitation of his powers which mercy had imposed upon him as a protection from the full results of his fall. We don't have to be limited to this silly little grace mentality and mercy mentality. We now can live whatever debased mentality, life, immorality that we want to because we've grown so far in understanding and scientific reasoning that we don't need those silly things like sin and forgiveness and grace. We shook those off. We've moved on from those things. If this succeeded, hell would at least be incarnate, which I believe we are experiencing today. Hell has become very real and very physical among people. It's, it's everywhere around us at all times. <clears throat> Bad men, while still in the body, still crawling around on this little globe, would enter the state which before they had entered only after death would have been diuternity and the power of evil spirits. Diuternity means um, uh, ongoing, continuing. Uh, that we are, we are continuing in our sin. That we are being led by demonic forces and we're just moving forward with everything we have in that. Because why? Everything's relative. There's no God. We created this whole thing ourselves. We don't need a God. We've surpa surpassed that. Second Peter Chapter 3, I'm going to walk down through this chapter with us a little bit. And, and, and I'm broken into categories. This is, um, this is like um, expository preaching is some of the ways people describe it. It's not exactly, but um, I'm just going to walk down through this. And I'm going to show you the different categories that Peter is, is writing here because I think they speak to us. <clears throat> now, Peter is talking about the end of times. But... Uh, there's two things. One, I want us to focus on the fact that this is right now. Yes, I do believe it's right now because I do believe with, that we are in the end times. I believe that we have rushed toward this so quickly and we're there now. Um, the last, I don't know, years, decades at the longest mentality on the earth. I don't think it's going to be decades. I preached this uh, four or five months ago. I was talking about the rapture and that the 70 to 80 years that God says is a generation in Scripture uh, from the time of Israel being a country, becoming a country, we're at year 75. We're in that 70 to 80 year time frame. So I think we're very close to the end times. But let's, let's say that end times are not going to happen for another thousand years, okay? I don't believe that, but let's just say that. You have to realize that your life is only the length of your life. If Jesus does not come back in your life, your life is still over and done with when it's done. If Jesus comes back in the middle of your life, then you don't get the full whatever 70, 80 years. All right, but your life is over. So when we talk about the terminal generation, which is the generation that the rapture will come back, uh, the rapture will happen during, Jesus will come back during that generation, every generation is terminal. You, you, nobody lives past life time. You know what I'm saying. So, so I want us to think about this about right now because to me this whole thing is about right now. The first, first point to this first section is that, um, that Peter is encouraging us that he is writing this to stimulate wholesome thinking and refresh our memory. And assuming that we had been taught before about the things of the Lord. Okay. Now going back to the stuff with India, and this is what was really convicting me at the time, was <clears throat> um, I, most people in India, now there is the Hindu population, the Muslim population, which is really small comparatively, but still very big for like, say, America. There's so many people in India, so many people. We, we were in Calcutta. There's about 22 million people in Calcutta. Uh, we were in Delhi. There's about 33, 34 million people in Delhi. That's just two of their cities. Um, you realize our biggest city, New York, is, what, 23, 25 million? Something like that. Think about that. Um, and they're just people everywhere. They're just right here all the time. And, and, but here's one of the things I realized. Most of these people are not anti-God. You know that? They're not... They don't have a rebellion against God mentality. In fact, these people are very spiritual. They just hadn't figured out the real God. They hadn't figured out God the Father, the one true God. But they, but they are very spiritual people, the Hindus and the Muslims. And, and um, most people think, you know, Islam is a, is a violent religion, and to some extent it is, it, it, to a great extent it is. It actually has it written in their book, You Should Kill Christians. 
Um, and I have people all the time say, no, it doesn't. I've read the Quran. It does. I know where it is. Um, and so we understand that has a violent mentality to it. But a lot of people don't realize around the world that Hinduism is, has a lot of violence to it also. That uh, many places in India right now, they're, they're killing Christians and killing Muslims. And that is being stirred up by the prime minister. His name's Modi. And he has like, he's like, a, he's like a, uh, a communist Hindu. I know those two don't match. Communism is anti-God, very secular. But he's blended them, and he stirs this up to attack Christians, attack Muslims. The Muslims are fairly peaceful in India because they're the underdog. They're, they're the minority. Okay? But, but in, in all the people that we came across, um, there wasn't a mental mentality. In the area where our church is, there's not that. There's not the danger like there is. Um, people get along, and people don't have this anti-God mentality. They're hungry for God. They just don't know which God. And, and here's the interesting thing about it. When you look at where the strong anti-God mentality, the atheistic rebellion against God mentality comes from, it's all Western countries. It's not places like India. Now, you do have the anti-God in, in some of the hardcore Muslim countries, the anti-Christian, because they think Christianity is a perversion of, of their God and, and religion. But most, most Indians don't have an anti-God mentality. That's why you can tell them about Jesus and they accept it so uh, readily. Because the Holy Spirit immediately will begin to show them he's real. That's why the Muslims there, you can tell them about Jesus, and they immediately begin to understand this and accept this. We had, we, two different times we went to a Muslim house and had dinner in their house. That's not normal, in case you don't understand. That's not normal. They invited us as their special guests, and we went and had dinner in their house. There's not an anti-God mentality. They didn't hate us. Um, now, yes, it is in the Quran, and when you get into very strong Muslim countries, they will kill Christians. I don't want to have us misunderstand that. They will kill Christians, okay? Um, but for the most part, these people in India are not anti-God. After we went into this, this, this is what happened to us. Six or seven times we were invited to eat places, and this is just the culture. They will have you go in their house and eat. They take you into their, their best room in the house which is usually uh, their bedroom, the parents' bedroom. And they spread a tablecloth on the bed, and they pull up a chair, and you eat on their bed because they don't have dining rooms like we would. They're, these are concrete houses, a couple, three rooms. That's about it. In fact, their kitchens are, are literally um, about this wide and about six foot long. That's their kitchen uh, with a little counter sticking out. And, and um, so we would go in, and we would eat, and then they don't eat because they don't want to mess up this moment. We're the guest of honor, so we eat, and they watch us eat. And they all stand there. Everybody, like 10 people, just stand there. <laughs> I mean, it's so awkward. It's so awkward. After the second or third time, my son said, I hate doing this. I don't want to go eat again and everybody watch me eat. And I said, oh, we got a few more on the, on the docket. And, and in this area, most... There's only two states in, in India where uh, eating beef is legal, and so eating cow. So the way they get around that is uh, we went to a restaurant at one point, which you don't really do. It's not a good idea, but we did. And uh, my son ordered a burger, a hamburger, but it was with uh, water buffalo because they won't serve cows because cow is uh, sacred. It's a sacred animal. And, uh, but we were at this one Muslim household, and we were eating, and the guy came out, and he was talking to us. His, his English was limited, and, uh, and he said, you know, he, he was so glad we were there, and he telling us all this stuff, like paneer, like tofu, and, and chicken tikka masala. I mean, just wonderful food. Barani rice, just wonderful. I love Indian food. And then he says, this is the first time my, my son's been in the country. He's never been in India before. And, uh, and he said, and this is beef brands. And uh, my son said, what is that, Brins? I said, it's Brins. It's, it's a local dish around here, Brins. You're going to love it. Um, and he's like, really? What is it? It's just Brins. It's beef, Brins. He said, Dad? I said, son, just eat. It's just beef, Brins. This is Brains, ain't it, Dad? I was like, might be. Just try it and see. I don't know. I've had, I'd have, I've had beef, Brins before, and they're no good. Um, they don't taste good. It's the only thing I, don't, I didn't like in India, but... But these, these, are, these are nice people. These are good people. They're spiritually hungry people. America, England, Australia, 
France. They're the ones who hate God, who rebel against God. These other countries just don't know the real God. And that's what we were there to tell them. He said, this is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking, refresh your memory. You realize that's, I believe that's my responsibility every week is to stimulate your wholesome thinking. From where? From the Bible, not from what I think, but from the Bible. It's got to come from the Bible. I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago and what our, Savior, our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. The second thing is the, this, this, the next section, mocking truth and following their own desires. Verse 3, more important, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. Just this last week, um, so Tuesday of this last week, we had uh, there's a guy here in town, he's a military guy that was paying attention to, to some of the stuff that his daughter was uh, having in the school library. And so he uh, started doing some homework on what's in the school library and found a lot of uh, very bad books, pornographic books, books, a lot of books that were pushing, very strongly pushing the LGBT and grooming uh, of the LGBT community. And so he began to work against this. Quite a few months ago, he and I met together, and, and um, I, I didn't really do much to help him except just uh, motivate him. You, you're on the right track. Do this however it can help kind of thing. Um, so then uh, this last Tuesday... Uh, he got a group of people, about 30-something people that went to the county commissioner's meeting, and they took books from the school libraries and read them to the county commissioners. You would say, well, that shouldn't matter. One of the books, uh, one of the the ladies that comes here, she was here Wednesday night, she she was uh, showing me the book and explaining the book that she read out of, and it's basically um, uh, two gay men that are... Uh, um, experiencing sex with each other and showing pictures in the book and describing what they're doing with each other. And there's a little boy, about a second-year-old boy, second-grade boy that's watching them do this. This is in public school library. And so he had about 30 people read from these books at the county commission meeting. I know they're going to go do this at the... uh, the uh, city council, and I've encouraged them. I, I, it's part of their plan, but it's, this sounds weird. I've encouraged them strongly to also go to the school board meetings and read this. But here's the thing. Our school board meetings will kick you out for reading books that are, re- that are in their library. We know this. A man just this last week was doing this in D20. He was reading a book that was in their library for second, third, and fourth graders, and he was kicked out of the board meeting because he was reading pornographic material of a book that's in their library. Guys, this is, this is mocking. Let me tell you the next part of it. Um, Thursday of this last week, Douglas County, uh, two board members got up to be sworn in as newly elected board members, and so they took a, a handful of four or five of these books that are very grooming, LGBT, pornographic, and everything. And instead of swearing in on the Bible, they put these books and put their hand on these books and swore in on these pornographic books, making a big joke about this and laughing about this. These are the people that are being voted in, in my opinion, by people that either did not know or are evil. This is, this is not okay. This is mocking, mocking. The truth and following their own desires. But here's the question that I come to because this is what kept, con- kept convicting me while I was in India. It is so easy to preach the gospel. It is so easy to pray for people. All this kind of stuff. How much of my life am I actually mocking the truth and following my own desires? And because the Holy Spirit was really convicting me of that, I wanted to share with you this conviction. If we're following our own desires... Following our own desires. Well, what do you mean following our desires? We can do whatever we want. Paul even said that. Paul said everything is uh, permissible. You're a grown adult. You can do whatever you want. It's permissible. But not all things are beneficial. And there's accountability for things. And I was thinking about this. 
there, and I was thinking about this even yesterday. I'm watching TV, and um, that we have so many streaming providers nowadays, right? And all of them, they get you because they're only like seven or eight dollars a piece, right? But then you have like 14 streaming providers, and you're paying more than cable. But either way, so I, I'm processing this that we have so much access to so much stuff, and most of this is so harmful and dangerous to our spiritual walk. Most of it is. You, you, just, you just look at the language, the nudity, things like that. This stuff is very harmful to our spiritual walk. But as Americans, we have the right to follow our own desires, right? We're free people. And God does address this, that you can be free, but not realize that you are bound up and a slave to Satan, but you think you're free because you think you're making your decisions. And freedom is actually in Christ and under the blood of Jesus. So what does it mean to follow our desires? Because I think in America, we've, we've done this so long and so much that we don't realize that we're mocking the truth because we're so used to following our, our desires, whatever those desires are, whatever that looks like. We've become so used to that. And uh, we, we were sitting at dinner a couple nights ago. Uh, the board and our staff, we had our uh, annual Christmas party. We're sitting there, and I think it was Beth... Gray that asked this, and she said, have you ever read anything or cut across anything that talks about how many people, uh, an estimate, how many people might make it in the rapture? Now, that's a, that's a tricky question because wouldn't that be greatly dependent upon the theological starting point of the person making the assessment? Right? In other words, if you're a Calvinist and you believe that once you prayed a prayer somewhere in your past, you're saved no matter what and you're going to go to heaven, no matter how much you don't love Jesus or sin or what, you're still going to go to heaven. Their number is going to be way bigger than my number. Because I don't believe that just because you prayed a prayer at one time, you're going to go to heaven. Everything has to do with your heart. Do you love Jesus? Do you, are you pursuing him? That's the determination. And so Hey, here's, here's one of the things I looked at, because I've actually, th this wasn't the first time I've heard this question. I've had discussions and stuff about this, even in, in seminary and things. If you go to the Bible, the more you read the Bible, the smaller and smaller the number gets. You know that? Even if you take the parable of the ten virgins, the ten virgins are the church, okay? Sometimes people think that ten virgins are just the world in general. It is not. The fact that they were virgins, they had the oil of the Holy Spirit in their lamps, and it was already ready to go, they were the body of Christ that Jesus is talking about. And he also says the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay? And so you got the ten virgins just within the context of good, solid church people people that really are part of the body of Christ, following Jesus, only half of them make it. Only five of the ten. Now, am I, am I saying this so that we all walk in here feeling bad? A little bit, because I was feeling bad during my, my trip to India over this, so you have to also. But, but guys, really, it's because the more I got to thinking about this and processing this, the reason in America we struggle so much with God being God it, I think really much, great, is greatly due to the fact that we're following our own desires more than following the desires of the Lord. When you're following the desires of the Lord, a lot of the stuff that is Jesus begins to naturally happen more in your life. In fact, when we were, so I was telling you about we were praying for all these people and they're getting healed like crazy. So on my way back, one of the, one of the times when we had internet at an airport or something, our pastor had... Um, in Rampart there, our pastor had um, Texas. I don't think I put a picture of our pastor up. Did, did we do that? Put that up there real quick. I want you to see. Yeah, this is Josiah, his wife, Sufala, and her mother. And um, Josiah texted me and said, um, all of these people that are coming to church, they wanted me to tell you that the more that they accept Jesus and serve Jesus, the more all of the problems in their life are going away. Physical problems, mental, emotional, spiritual problems are going away. All the pressures that are harassing them are going away. Is that, that would be hard to preach legitimately in America. We get saved. How much is our life really changed? Back in the day when I was a kid, that was the expectation. You got saved and your life changed. But part of the reason is because you submitted to the Lord and you changed your life. 
You let the Holy Spirit convict you, and you changed your life. In fact, one of the qualifiers, you can look this up online, um, uh, a qualifier, an element or a description of salvation. One of them should be an outward witness as well as an inward witness. In other words, things around you have changed in your world. Who you are has changed to where people can see it. We don't preach and teach that stuff anymore. You can get saved, but you still can sleep around. You get saved, you can still do all the drugs you want. You get saved, you can still have a mouth that, that Jesus is not pleased with. Because why? Well, you know, we're just, we're, Jesus has come alongside and been my partner. Whatever happened to what the Bible actually says about this stuff? The Bible talks about every bit of this. We're even to the point now where churches won't even acknowledge that homosexuality is a sin. Because they're scared to death that somebody might leave the church. But you know what happens? And I've seen this many times. In fact, I wish I could give some testimonies of our church, but I don't have the, the liberty to do that. That when you preach truth about that, homosexuals actually get saved. Who, who would have thought? Didn't see that coming. Now, here's the thing with this. He says, they will say what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again. We've been hearing this forever. Been hearing Jesus coming again forever. And people get lazy about it, and they don't care. Except here's the reality. Jesus is coming. Now, I think he's coming in my lifetime. I think he's coming quickly. But even if he doesn't, someday I'm going to die, and I'm going to stand before him. That's the equivalent of Jesus coming for me. I'm going to stand before him someday. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And they forget that God made the planet we're standing on. When they forget that God made the air you're breathing. I, I say this statement a lot when I'm, when I'm praying for my food. Jesus, thank you for making food taste good. And I really mean that. It's not a joke. Um, I really mean that. God didn't have to make food taste good. But have you ever thought about all of the stuff? God made everything so that you can live. In fact, he says that. He says he's given us all things for life, but also for godliness. And we take the life side for granted, and we don't pay attention to the godliness side. And we just kind of leave that out. And, and the, the Lord just kept convicting me of those, that all the, my desires, I, I just whatever I desire, I do. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not out there, you know, murdering people and stuff like that. I don't want you to, to think I've got this hidden sin part of my life. I don't. Usually when somebody says that, they do. But I promise you, I really don't. I mean, really, I don't. So, so you figure that out. So, but at the same time, I do follow my desires. And, and one of the easiest for me is I sit down and turn on the TV, and no matter what, there's all kinds of junk. And I'm just watching it. You say, well, what do, if we don't watch stuff with junk, there's nothing left to watch. Well, first, my kids make fun of me. Andy Griffith is not a bad show. You should try that. But, but, but here's, let me be serious with this a little bit. You can go on to something called VidAngel. And you, VidAngel is an app, just like Hulu or Amazon Prime or whatever. VidAngel is an app. And they've taken all the shows and they edit them. Take all the language out, take all the nudity out, all that kind of stuff. Now, some of the shows are very splotchy and don't make a lot of sense because uh, there's so much of that stuff. But there are alternatives. Somewhere we just got to say, do I really, am I really being totally led by my desires? Because that really is mocking God if we are. Really. Where are you on the spectrum? That's what the Lord kept asking me and telling me. So, um, <clears throat> the third thing, they will be judged. And by the they, that means everybody, including us. Because you know we're going to be judged someday. Hopefully you know that. Right? We will all stand before God. Every human being will stand before God. And we'll be judged. And you're either covered with the blood of Jesus and therefore have a right relationship with God. And so then when God calls your name, Jesus basically says, um, he's with me. Right? Or you're not covered with the blood of Jesus. And the only other option then is hell. We will be judged. He says in verse 6, then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. I still meet people, Christians in churches, that don't believe that Noah and the flood was real. I'll tell you, if you don't think that the flood was real, go to the Grand Canyon 
And you explain to me how all those layers of dirt landed perfectly, smoothly, over millions and millions of years, not any deviations, not any, just whew, nice layer of this color dirt, nice layer of this. You know why? Because it all happened in about, uh, I don't know, 40 days. Not millions and billions of years. It didn't. It happened during the flood. He says, the Lord has already destroyed the ancient world with a mighty flood. At the and, and by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. I don't want to be, I don't think, I don't think I'm ungodly people. But here's the thing is I do know that there are things in my life that Jesus is not okay with. So where do I, re how do I reconcile that? Either, either I'm serving God or I'm not. There's not a lot of in-between, although we make it like there is, right? Just, just look at it this way. This is, this is the way that um, the Lord has convicted me and also my wife. Um, when you're watching a show, would you be okay with Jesus coming in and sitting down and watching it with you? You're going to the movies. Would, Jesus, would you be okay with Jesus sitting beside you in the movie? Um, when you're talking to somebody, would you be okay with that person being Jesus and you saying those exact same words? I mean, you could do this all day long with stuff, right? Right? The fourth thing, the Lord does not want anybody to be destroyed. Now, I mentioned Calvinism earlier, so I'll mention this. One of the five pillars of Calvinism is limited atonement, that Jesus only died for some people, what's called the elect, that uh, he did not die for everybody. This scripture is one of the strongest scriptures I know that disagrees with that. Jesus died for everybody. He died for, and you know, here's something interesting. I asked this at a professor one time. I got my master's at Denver Seminary, which is conservative Baptist seminary, and, and a good seminary. I'm not dogging the seminary, but it is conservative Baptist, and so they, they all the, the, uh, Old Testament people are Calvinists, and all the New Testament people are Wesleyan. You can figure that out yourself. But, but um, the professor's teaching, and he's talking about how that there is the elect and limited atonement, and Jesus only died for some people. So I raised my hand because I'm obnoxious that way. And uh, I raised my hand and asked him, I said, you know, can you tell me, have you ever met anybody in your life that believes in limited atonement but does not believe that they are part of the elect? And he said, I don't know. He knew what I was asking. What I'm saying is it's interesting where everybody believes that Jesus only died for some. They all believe they're the some. Nobody, no, I've never met anybody who believes that Jesus died for some and I'm not one of them. And so I asked them, the professors, you, you prayed to accept Jesus how, how long ago? 20 years ago. How do you know Jesus died for you? Well, because I prayed to accept Jesus. So is that the qualifier? Everybody that asked Jesus, he died for them? That's not in Scripture anywhere. See, I believe Jesus died for everybody. Everybody. And all you have to do is ask Jesus to be your Savior. Why? Because he died for you. He didn't die for some. He died for everyone. Look at this. Verse 8, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. A thousand years is like a day. That has nothing to do with creation timelines. Okay, do not use it for that. It has nothing to do with that. I've heard that so many times. Well, that's how we know that it took uh, 7,000 days to create creation. No, it has nothing to do with that. That is very irresponsible understanding of Scripture. I, I think it's ignorant too, but it, this is what it has to do with. The Lord isn't really slow about his promise. He's talking about the Lord's timelines for your soul. That's what a thousand years like a day, a day like a thousand years. He's talking about your soul. My soul. And he says the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises. Some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake, for my sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Now, you tell me how somebody could actually come up with a theology that says Jesus died for some. He wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. And the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. <clears throat> and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. We're all going to be judged. Every one of us. Who you are, really down inside here, who you are is what's going to be judged. 
You say, I'm a good person. Be careful with that terminology because that's not anywhere in Scripture. The only thing that gets you into relationship with God and gets you into heaven is being covered with the blood of Jesus. That's the only thing. Not being a good person. Now, hopefully, if you're covered with the blood of Jesus, you grow in um, being a good person. Because there's a lot of Scripture and the Holy Spirit's working on you every day. Number five, live holy in godly lives, verse 11. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Man, that's strong. If everything is going to be burnt up, shouldn't you just serve God? Everything else is going to go away and be done with. Shouldn't you serve God? Shouldn't that be the priority? Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth, he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, so dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, and they haven't happened yet, how do we know? Because the ground's still there. That's how you know. It's, a, it's an easy one. Make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Blameless. Because that's a challenge for anybody at any given moment. Live a blameless life. Make sure you're focused on the Lord. Make sure you're in his word. Make sure you're seeking him. Make sure you're going after him. Because if not, we could be, without even realizing, we could be mocking God's word. By knowing it, by not, but not doing it. That's, that's, the, that's the biggest thing that's just been convicting me over these last few weeks with this. If it's, if it's God and it's true, then why aren't we just immediately jumping in? Because every single person I preached to in India did that. It was just wonderful to see and experience. Just, it really is. And, and just to pray for them, you say, well, yeah, you're the pastor. No, anybody in this room, you could pray for them, and they would have been healed just like when I prayed for them. Why? Because they're the one opening their spirit up to the Lord. I'm just the one that was saying the words. And at halftime, they didn't even know what I was saying. The last thing, God's patience gives you time to be saved. Verse 15. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people, you, I, every one of us, gives people time to be saved. I don't want to take for granted. I don't want to take for granted. And I'm not trying to condemn us with this. I'm really not. I'm trying to walk a line here. I, I'm not trying to condemn us, making us all walk in here and think I'm going to hell no matter what I do. That is not, that's how I grew up, and I don't like that mentality. But I do believe we need to be a repenting people, constantly repenting. Don't do the stuff that Satan is offering for you to do. Don't play with sin. Don't play with, with uh, letting your desires rule the day. Don't play with that stuff. Satan will use it to destroy you. Genesis 5, I think it is, says Satan is always crouching at your door. Always crouching at your door. Why don't you stand with me? God, we repent. Lord, I repent. I ask you to, to, to truly open my heart up to you. God, I don't, I don't want all the junk that Satan uses to mess with me. I don't want all the junk, Lord. I don't want to give in. I don't want to, I don't want to, to compromise, give in to the temptation. Lord, I want to live a holy and blameless life pursuing you. Jesus, I pray that for every one of us here, that we would be a people, we'd be a church that, that repents in the name of Jesus. God, we need you more than anything else. We need you, your spirit, more than anything else. We need your forgiveness. We need your grace. Lord, I don't, I don't want to get I don't want to get so enlightened that I literally think I don't need your mercy anymore. I don't want to be free of your grace and your mercy. So Holy Spirit, just convict us. Convict us. And pull us in close to you, God.
Wash us clean. Cover us with the blood of Jesus. Make us right with you, God. Pull us in close. God, and I want, I want Church at Briargate to be not only a place of repentance, but Lord, I pray that, that it will be a, um, a place where you just do supernatural things all the time. That we just know who you are and, we, and you just do this stuff. You set us free of stuff. You heal us. You change our lives. God, that we need this. We need, we need you in charge of us. Consume us with your presence. In Jesus' name. Keep, keep your head bowed. I want to give you an opportunity. <clears throat> Basically just to raise your hand. But the same thing I was doing through this is really saying, God, this is what I need. If you say, this is me, I'm really, Holy Spirit's convicting me of this right now. As you're, as you're preaching this, Holy Spirit's convicting me. Uh, I'd like you to just raise your hand. Keep your hand up just for a little bit. And we're basically saying, Lord, I want to I be different. I want to change. I want to change. Yeah. Lord, you see our hands. But Lord, more importantly, you see our hearts. That we really do want you to be the God over our hearts and our lives, our minds. You really do. We really do need you to be God over our minds and our hearts. God, we ask you to wash us clean. Our thought process, not just the thoughts, but why we make the decisions we make. Lord, we want to pursue you. We want to pursue you. And so, Lord, I continue to pray. Convict us, every one of us. Convict us regularly that we turn towards you and we pray and we seek you. In Jesus' name. Because you're the king. You're the God over every God. You're the true God of everything. Lord, we thank you. So fill us with your spirit. Consume us with you. And God, even as we're um, hanging out with uh, family and friends for Christmas, God, give us those opportunities to speak, to say something, to pray to connect family with you. God, give us those moments. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. Do the best you can. Take the opportunity and God will definitely honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them you're glad they're here. And uh, we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.